Psalm 73. A Psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Hi, Uni Church. Great to be with you. If we haven't met, my name is Mike. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matt's. I'm normally in the mornings at, at 9 and 11, but it's great to be with you uh, tonight here at Uni Church. It would be really helpful if you keep your Bibles open to Psalm 73 as we have a look at God's Word together tonight. As we do that, I want to start by showing you some photos where it looks like one thing is happening on the surface and it's kind of confusing, uh, but on closer inspection, there's something else going on. Uh, here's the first photo. Uh, it looks like this dad in the photo has this giant feminine hand, or at least that's what it might look like on first observation. But in reality, his hand is hidden behind the bed and it's just that his arm lines up with somebody else's hand. Uh, here's another photo. This one took me a little while to work out what was going on. It, it looks like the guy on the left has somehow popped his shoulders out and is managing to hug his teammate behind him. That's what it looks like to my eyes, but my brain says, no, that can't be what's going on. Now, uh, we see the reality a little bit more clearly. If I delete the head on, on the left, there you go. I'm a wizard at Photoshop. 
Uh, and now, now the reality is revealed. It's just two soccer players hugging after a goal. The player on the left has his head hidden behind the player on the right. It's just this third head belongs to somebody else who just happened to be kind of uh, in the background. <clears throat> now, here's what's going on in all those photos. In each of those photos, there's an observation, right? On the surface... At a purely observational level, it looks to my eyes like something strange is happening and it's confusing. What our eyes see don't match up with what our head knows. But then there's a moment of revelation where we kind of realise what's happening and everything sort of makes sense. Now, it's kind of amusing when it's a tangled mess of hugging soccer players Uh, It's less amusing when the tangled mess that we can't make sense of is something in our life. Uh, What are you going to do when our eyes see things that don't line up with what our head knows is true about God? What happens in life when we observe things that makes it look like God doesn't love us, even though God tells us he does? What happens when we observe things in life that makes it look like God has lost control in this world, even though he tells us he's in control? What do we do when we observe things in life that look like the opposite of what we know of God and that we can't really make sense of the thing that we are seeing with our own eyes? Well, Psalm 73 is one of God's people who is having that kind of experience. Now, in verse 1 to 14, the psalmist, a man named Asaph, makes an observation of stuff that is happening in the world around him. It's an observation that really confuses him. He sees things that are different to what he knows is true about God, and it raises all these sorts of doubts for him about God's goodness. So much so, it leads him to almost give up on God. That's what's happening in verse 2. See, in verse 2, he says... But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. He is talking about slipping away from trusting God based on something that he observes happening around him that he just cannot make sense of. That's the first half of the psalm. Now, in the second half of the psalm, we're going to see God gives him a revelation. God allows Asaph to see things, to make sense of the tangled mess in front of his eyes. And he ends up stable and continuing to trust God. Look at how it ends, verse 28. He ends up saying, But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So there you go. There's there's the shape of the psalm. That's where it goes. Let's start with the observation. What observation does Asaph make that really rattles his trust in God. Well, jump back in at verse 2 because he starts to tell us what it is that he sees. Verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. So the thing that Asaph observes as he looks around the world is that it's the wicked that have the blessed life. It's the wicked that seem to have the prosperous life. 
And he's not wrong in that observation. When the wicked have no regard for how God says to live, then they're free to do whatever they want to whoever they want in order to get whatever they want. They can lie and cheat and steal to get ahead. They can overcharge and cut corners to make a profit. They can make bribes to win contracts. And all the while, in verse 11, saying, how would God know? Does the Almighty know anything? Uh, It is a sad fact that if you look around the world, in this broken world, you will work out that if you're willing to mistreat people, If you are willing to bribe and cheat and treat people as resources to be trodden on for your own advancement, there is a pretty good chance in this life that you will be prosperous. And that's what Asaph observes. And so in verse 12, he kind of sums up his observation by saying, this is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. That's what he sees, but here's what he feels. He feels envy at the wealth they amass. That's what he said in verse 3. He says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw, when I observed the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph observes their bespoke mansions. He observes their manicured gardens, their comfortable lifestyle, their luxury cars, their amazing holidays. He observes God blessing them and he's thoroughly confused by it. And he's jealous of it. Now, it's pretty easy to feel like that, I think. I mean, how easy to be jealous of the promotion that the work colleague got instead of you because they were willing to treat people as resources to be exploited in the pursuit of company profits and you were not. How easy now to be jealous of their higher pay packet and the better holiday that they now have because they were willing to do things in the workplace that you as a Christian were not willing to do because of your faithfulness to God. How easy right now just to pause here and take five seconds for us to all take out our phones and to scroll through Instagram and and feel some level of jealousy at the lifestyle of the rich and godless. The psalm might have a title, the psalm of Asaph, but I could easily write a similar psalm with the title, the psalm of Mike. But what is it about this observation that leads Asaph to get to that point of doubting and abandoning God? Well, here's the danger. Look at verse 13. Look at what he says. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Do you see what's going on for Asaph? He observes them wicked amassing wealth. He observes the godless winning at life. And he starts to think, well, what a waste of time it has been for me to pursue faithfulness and obedience to God. If God's going to bless the wicked with promotions and prosperity instead of cursing them, well, I might as well just go and join the wicked. Now, behind Asaph's complaint is his understanding of the Old Covenant. Now, you and I as Christians, we are not In the Old Covenant, we're in the New Covenant forged by Jesus' blood at the cross. But Asaph, he was under the Old Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, if Israel obeyed God, if they pursued righteousness and faithfulness in the land, then God would bless them in the land. He would make them prosperous. They would be healthy. Their crops would flourish. But if they did not pursue faithfulness to God, then in the land they would not be prosperous. Their crops would fail. They would be cursed. And Asaph... 
looks around and he observes it's the wicked who are experiencing prosperity. And he's confused by what he sees because it seems like it doesn't line up with what God has said about how this world will work for them. What he sees is a tangled mess of soccer players that he can't quite work out what's going on. What he sees doesn't line up with what he knows. He knows that God will not bless the wicked, but that's not what he's seeing. And he wonders, what is God doing blessing the wicked? Surely I have kept my heart pure in vain. And the danger is that Asaph is about to walk away from obeying God and to live like the wicked, motivated firstly by his confusion about what God is doing and secondly motivated by his envy of their prosperity. And you might know Christians that when lured by the envy of wealth began to live like the godless in order to get what the godless have. And we should pause here, I think, for a moment, because what Asaph observes, the wicked winning at life, is what we observe too. As we scroll through Instagram, we will observe the lifestyles of the rich and godless. They seem to be the ones who are hashtag winning at life, hashtag blessed. They seem to be the ones that have worked out how life and this world works. And what Asaph feels, that envy is often what we might feel. I wonder if envy at prosperous lifestyles is such a common feature of our culture that we're almost now casual um, when it comes to the danger of this. We live in a world that is completely saturated by advertising and social media, all of which creates this envy of the lifestyles, the fashion, the holidays, the houses, the careers of the rich and godless. I can open my phone right now and within three seconds be swimming in envy and be really casual about it and actually be drawn to it, attracted to it. And God's word in Psalm 73 wants to wake me up to the danger that's embedded in there for me. I really resonate, actually, with with how conflicted Asaph is at this point because he looks at the prosperity of the wicked and in verse 13 he says, well, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. They have all this great stuff that I don't have. But then in verse 15, just two verses later, he says, gee, if I'd spoken out like that, that would be betrayal. Do you see how he's conflicted? In his head, he knows that something is wrong with the observation that his eyes are making. He knows that his observation that he's wasted his time pursuing faithfulness to God, he knows that observation is wrong. He knows the observation that the wicked have the blessed life. He knows that observation is wrong. But as he looks around the world, that's what he sees. And he can't help but wonder, is he the one who has got it all wrong about how the world works? And in that place of conflicted and confused tension, just as he's about to slip away from God, he goes to the sanctuary. That is, he goes to the tabernacle or the temple, the place where God dwells. And God reveals something to him there. And that tangled mess that he sees with his eyes, that he can't make sense of, suddenly becomes clearer. Let's jump into his revelation that he gets. Uh, In verse 16, let's start there. 
He says, verse 16, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Now, did you notice the language change? The language changes from things that Asaph sees to things that Asaph understands. No longer does he say, I saw, but he begins to say, I understood. Understood things that God revealed to him. At the sanctuary, he gets a revelation. His first revelation is that he understands that the wicked's destiny is destruction. Uh, Maybe this happened as somebody at the temple read something from the Bible or maybe a song was being sung. Maybe he turned up at the sanctuary and they were singing Psalm 49, which has that repeating line, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They're like beasts that perish. However the revelation comes to him at the sanctuary, God has Asaph understand that what he is seeing with his eyes isn't the full picture. God has him understand that the destiny of the wicked is not an early retirement in an impressive suburb uh, with a really great uh, stock portfolio and lots of annual overseas holidays. No, their final destiny is destruction. Verse 18, Asaph says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. And run your eye down to verse 27. Verse 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. So at the sanctuary, at the tabernacle, the place where God dwells, Asaph is given revelation, insight, God's word. It's like he's given a special pair of glasses and when he puts those glasses on, it shows him what the world looks like in the end for all eternity. And he looks around at the mansions that he was envious of and they're boarded up and crumbling down. And he looks for the wicked whom he thought had the world worked out, who he thought had the blessed life, and he can't find them because they've perished under God's judgment. And not only does God give Asaph this revelation about the destiny of the wicked, God also gives him this revelation about the destiny of him as one of God's people and his destiny is glory with God. Look at verse 24. Asaph says, You guide me with your counsel and afterwards... Okay, so here's the final destiny of God's people. Afterwards, you will take me into glory. And look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As one of God's people, Asaph's destiny is eternal glory with God forever and he nearly walked away from it. He nearly walked away from that all because of his eyes that deceived him. All because of his observation that the wicked seemed to have the blessed life and the envy that they created in him. You see, the real question for Asaph at the end of Psalm 73 is what will he build his worldview on? Will Asaph build his worldview upon his observation 
or God's revelation. Because Asaph's observation is that the wicked win, the wicked have the blessed life, the wicked are the ones who figured out how best to live and how this world works, but God's revelation is, no, in the end the wicked face destruction and God's people have eternal glory. It's God's people who have the best and blessed life. It's God's faithful people who have the world figured out. But the real question is, what will Asaph build his understanding of the world upon? His observation of what he sees in the world or God's revelation that he says in his word? That's the question for Asaph. And that's the question for us. Because as we look around this world, as we scroll through Instagram, we will observe the lifestyles of the rich and godless and might conclude that they are the ones that have got this world figured out. They are the ones who are hashtag winning at life. And we might be tempted to join them. Or will we trust God's revelation that the future of the godless is destruction and that the future of God's faithful people is eternal glory with him? What are you going to do? What are you going to do in your life when your eyes see things that appear to be the opposite of what God says? What's going to happen to you when you observe things in this life that makes it look like God doesn't love you, even though he says he does? What will happen to you in this life when you observe things that make it look like God has lost control, even though he tells us he's in control? Well, what happens to you largely depends on what you are building your worldview on your observations of what you see in this world or God's revelation that he says in his word. And God's revelation that he gives us in his word is trustworthy and true. As the psalmist says, your word is a light to my path and it's a lamp to our feet. It shows us where to go, what is real, what is true and trustworthy and everlasting. And in God's kindness, to, to help Asaph with his struggles about what he is seeing, God gives Asaph one more revelation to help him with his struggles about the prosperity of the wicked. At the sanctuary, it dawns on Asaph that he has the most wonderful thing in his life now that the wicked don't have. And that is, Asaph has access to enjoy God's presence now. See, it's not that, you know, the wicked have the great life now and we kind of have this boring vanilla life, but, you know, eventually in the future that's going to flip around so we actually get the good deal uh, for all eternity. But we kind of got to wade through the boring vanilla pedestrian existence. Now, that's not the case. Asaph works out and understands that his life is great now because he has access to God's loving presence now and the wicked don't. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 is Asaph describing his life. I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. That's what his life is like now. And then he says, afterward, you'll take me to glory. You see, Asaph understands that the blessings that he has as one of God's people, they're not all to be delayed, only to be experienced sometime later in heaven. No, he has a foretaste of that good blessing now. God's people have the blessing of experiencing God's loving, caring, guiding counsel and presence now. And so in verse 28, when Asaph says, well, look, 
But we could have all this stuff, but, verse 28, for me, it's good to be near God. He means it's good to be near God right now, here, in the sanctuary where God dwells. The Asaph's first observation that the wicked seem to have the best life now is actually wrong. They don't. They might have more wealth and more prosperity than Asaph, but Asaph has the best thing. Asaph has God in his life now. He experiences something of God's love now, something of his presence in his life now, something of the peace of God in his life now, and then later in glory in heaven, he gets all those things even more than what he experiences now. And so this psalm, it starts with Asaph observing a tangled mess that he theologically cannot make sense of what he sees. The wicked are prospering. The wicked are winning at life. The wicked seem to be blessed by God. And it really shakes his trust of God and his worldview. But the psalm ends with Asaph steady and stable. Because instead of trusting his observations about the world... He trusts these three revelations uh, given by God. And you and I have been given those same three revelations by God, but with even more clarity than Asaph ever had, because these things are more fully revealed to you and I in Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ is the ultimate and the final and the clearest revelation of these things for us to base our life upon. Consider Asaph's first revelation, that the wicked's destiny is destruction. Well, God has revealed to us in his word that Jesus is returning. And on his return, he returns as judge. Acts 17 says, For God has set a day when he will judge the world by the man that he has appointed, and he has given proof of this, by raising him from the dead. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation that a day of judgment is real and that a day of judgment is coming. But consider Asaph's second revelation, that the destiny of God's people like Asaph is glory in heaven. Again, God has revealed that to us in Jesus. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we have a hope of that future, If not for Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sin, we will stand with the wicked on the day of his return. You see, God's ultimate and final and clearest revelation that eternal glory is on offer for people, it comes in the person and the work of Jesus. And look at that last revelation, that Asaph enjoys God's presence now. Well, it's really only because of Jesus that you and I have a foretaste of God's presence in this life. Because we experience God's presence in this life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus sent. Asaph, he could only experience God's presence if he went to the temple. But we experience God's permanent presence wherever we go through the indwelling of the Spirit that Jesus sent. Because we are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God on earth. And that's why when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, hey, don't you guys know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We Christians are the new temple, the place on earth God dwells. And Ephesians 2 says, yep, and of that new temple, guess who the cornerstone is? The cornerstone is Jesus. 
This is all revealed in Jesus. We enjoy and experience something of God's presence now in a way that Asaph could never have dreamed of and we will experience all these things even more fully when the Lord Jesus comes and we will be part of that all because we have come to know and trust God's revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so when things get messy in life, when we observe things that don't seem to quite line up with what we know about God from what he has said in his word, our question really becomes the same question that Asaph had to answer in Psalm 73, and that is, what will we base our understanding of this world on? My observation that I see in this world, or God's revelation that he gives me in his word? And the place to look to make ultimate sense of this world is God's revelation, particularly and most wonderfully his revelation about Jesus Christ. What is it that you need to do today in response to God's word in Psalm 73? If you are somebody here who is really casual about envying the prosperity of the wicked, do you need to recognise the danger of that? Like Asaph, do you need to stabilise your footing by setting your eyes upon God's revelation uh, that the destiny of the wicked and all they have is destruction? That is nothing to be envious about. Or are you somebody that is seeing things with your eyes in this world and and you, you can't quite figure out how that lines up with what God says in his word and that is making you really struggle like Asaph did? Do you need to remind yourself of the trustworthiness of God's revelation, that it's a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Whatever you need to do today in response to what God has said in his word in Psalm 73, I'd really encourage you uh, to do that.